Well, good morning. We survived camp. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> I have never been so happy to sleep in a clean, nice, lovely bed that doesn't squeak in my whole life. Um, if you are a member of Woodmont, you know that every year our kids go to the same camp over and over again, but the last two summers it's been canceled because of COVID, so we pulled off our own camp in a different location this year, and we just got back to the church parking lot on Monday. Um, we only had one trip to the emergency room and lots of finger cuts and weirdly more fish bites than I have ever encountered. Like, is your daughter okay? Okay, great. Um, uh, you've never seen so many kids get bit by fish ever. I didn't know fish bite. Do they have teeth? I don't know. Let's not go there. Um, we had the best week. We did movies under the stars and swinging through the trees and bonfires, and we had full moons every night, and it was beautiful. And I wish you could have been there to see these students. I wish you could have seen the night that one camper felt really homesick, and when his sibling across campus heard about it, she made her way through the dark half a mile to him so he could have the cell phone to call home. I wish you could have seen while we were on these platforms trying to swing with one rope to this platform to the next platform, and every kid had gotten over except for one, and he was frustrated at himself, and he was nearly in tears, how one of the kids swung back to him and said, you're not quitting, we got this, come on, let's go. I wish you could have seen these 12-year-olds cheer each other on. I wish you could have seen Bible studies where they sat around and they told the truth about their lives what's really happening at home, what they're really struggling with, what it was like to go to the hospital, what it was like to listen to their parents go through a divorce. I wish you could have seen them open up and be vulnerable and share with one another. I love going to camp, not because I like to be in a bunk bed or eat camp food, I do not, or get stung by bees, which is apparently my spiritual gift at camp. I got multiple bee stings. I like to go to camp because we slow down and we experience the holy and we remind one another of our interconnectedness. We go to camp to remember that we are a chosen community. We are reliant and dependent upon one another. You see, we live in a culture and a time that has enticed us into believing that we are autonomous, self-sufficient creatures who do not need to be rooted who can change communities when the old community doesn't work for us anymore, who can take care of our own affairs without the help of others, who pride ourselves on our rugged individualism. We have tricked ourselves into believing somehow that we are independent from one another, but independence is a myth. Because even a man or a woman who is out in the middle of the wilderness has to be dependent on the land and the weather for food and for survival. None of us are truly independent, but we sure do spend an awful lot of time trying to prove to ourselves and others that we can manage on our own, don't we? Last year, my girls got this huge inflatable water slide delivered to the front porch as a surprise from a blessed aunt. And... Um, and it had to be 50 pounds, and I could not get it in the door. And then when I finally got it in the door, it just sat there and stared at me in the living room. And I was like, I can't get it down the stairs outside because it's too heavy. And so finally, I did what every independent woman does. I slid it to the edge of the stairs. I eyeballed the trajectory. I tilted and pushed that thing down. And all 50 pounds went flying down the stairs, and I got it downstairs. And I forgot about the wall at the end of the stairs. 
And apparently the sheetrock in my house is just no good. Um, a little more thin than I thought. And so still to this day, there is a gaping hole this big where a water slide plummeted down the stairs and through the wall. And I realize on the flip side of that, that I should have asked for help. I could have asked a neighbor, I could have called my brother-in-law, I could have had a friend come over, but I was just hell-bent on doing it all by myself. And it reminds me every day when I see it that sometimes self-sufficiency is not all that it's cracked up to be. Don't get me wrong, I believe in being strong and empowered and responsible for myself and my family, but I would be fooling myself if I thought I could be all those things and do all those things all on my own. We were born inextricably connected to one another. And the life of Christian faith is about growing up and maturing enough to understand that we belong to one another. We were created to live and grow and struggle and work and toil and rejoice in authentic community. It is an example that is given to us by God. I can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. Life is not a solo adventure. We were created for community, created interdependently to rely on one another. In today's passage, we read about a man who cannot, on his own, make his way to the healer. But before we get to the story, I just want us to zoom out for a minute and take a life at the look of Jesus so we can properly place this one story in a bigger context. In the Gospel of John, the first chapter, we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then picking up in verse 18, John says, No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. Then later in the book of John, in chapter 14, Jesus says to the disciples, If you know me, you know my Father also. Making a case for Jesus' divinity, John makes it abundantly clear that if we've known Jesus, then we have known God. So there's something of the nature of God that we come to know intimately through the incarnation of Jesus. And perhaps one of the most revolutionary things we might know about the nature of God based on the incarnation of Jesus is what it's like to be interconnected. We were created within a system of communal reliance, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're all interconnected. And if the Trinity is mutually connected, why should we expect to be any different? So what can we know of God through Jesus? Well, let's start at his birth. Jesus was conceived in a womb, and he was kept alive by the nutrients that passed through his mother's umbilical cord. Even in Jesus's birth, he shows sufficiency on other people because Jesus was not self-sufficient. I'll say that again. Jesus was not self-sufficient. I don't know how that feels for you to hear, but when I hear that, it feels very sacrilegious because I sort of want this pie-in-the-sky Jesus who is untouchable by earth, but that is just not the gospel narrative that we have. We have a Savior who is like us. When Jesus takes on human flesh, he takes on the ability to hurt, to feel, to cry, to love, to laugh, to listen to stories around a campfire all night long. 
In the life of Jesus, we don't get an aloof, distant, holy other Savior. We get fully divine and fully human. We get incarnation. We're given a Jesus who relies on a woman's womb, a toddler who is nursed and fed and clothed by his mother, a little boy who learns from the priests in the temple, a man at the start of his ministry who's attended to by angels after he stands toe-to-toe with Satan in the desert. In Jesus, we have a man who eats meals with friends, who relies on the generosity of people in the towns that he travels to, to, to clothe him, to feed him, to house him. In the Gospel of Luke, we read that Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Susanna, they fund Jesus' ministry. Y'all, he is bankrolled by three women. We get a Savior who doesn't want to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane alone on the hardest night of his life. He wants his friends there. A Savior who, before dying, makes arrangements for his mom to be taken care of and who feels betrayed by God and who whispers out from the cross, I am thirsty, I thirst. In the life of Jesus, we encounter a man who is deeply connected and dependent upon the community around him. He does not live in isolation. He doesn't even die alone. He dies between two other men. Could Jesus have walked this earth without being reliant and connected and dependent upon those around him? Whether he could have or not, he didn't. In Christian theology, we use this word called kenosis, and it means the self-emptying of the divine nature, at least in part by Christ. Through this self-emptying, we come to know Jesus not as a lone island unto himself, but in the context of community. Jesus places relationships at the heart of all he does. So we can know something about the interconnectedness that God created in the fabric of our existence When we look to the life and the ministry of Jesus, none of us were born self-sufficient, not even Jesus. So if that's true, then perhaps reliance upon one another is actually holy. You've probably heard today's Bible story. It can be found in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I like the book of Mark the best because it's a little bit of a grittier version. Jesus is in the beginning of his ministry. Word has gotten out that he is a great teacher, a prophet, a healer. Nobody can really figure out who this man is. Capernaum is his home, so he goes back home, and everybody comes out to hear him. Capernaum is this um, very bustling little city. There's like at least a 1,000 people that live there. It's on the middle of a crossroads where people travel all the time. And so this is a really bustling place, and as soon as he comes back to town, word gets out, everybody's there. So they all crowd around to listen to him in this house. And there's a lot of different people that come that day. There's scribes. These are people that know the law. There's Pharisees. These are people that uphold the law. There's common people, just everyday people wondering, who is this guy? And also, we know there's a group of people somewhere across town who have a friend who's paralyzed that they want to bring to Jesus. We don't know much about these presumably men, We know there are five friends, four of them, who are willing to carry their friend to Jesus and one man who's paralyzed. And sometimes I wonder about that paralyzed man. Did he ask his friends for help? Did he want to be healed? Or is this mission one that his friends seek out on his behalf? If so, does he protest? Does he feel pride in being loved so well by these men? 
Or is he ashamed that he cannot do for himself what he feels he should be able to do for himself? Have you ever needed someone to take care of you? Have you ever needed someone to take you to the healer? Or worse, to a doctor? Many of you know that when I came onto Woodmont staff, I had just gone through two years of a, a disease, a medical illness that had put me in and out of the hospital for six different surgeries. And those six different surgeries were through the colorectal department. And I just want to say that, you know, you think you've been exposed when you've had a baby. Um, but you really have not experienced the fullness of life until you were in a colorectal surgeon's clinic with a team of people coming to attend to you. And I do mean a team because my blessed surgeon would always show up in that room with at least two or three gorgeous residents. It was like they put out an SOS call. They were like, come on down. And there was a party in the room and God bless the nurse that was always like, you have a cute sweater on today. I'm like, I, I love you. And I see, I see you trying to be here for me, but there's nothing you can do in this moment to make it any better. This is as bad as it gets. And every single time I'd go in there, she's always having this conversation about my cute sweater for the day. And I'm like, thank you so much. But no, there's, there's no way that this situation becomes bearable. And living in community sometimes feels that way. Living in community is not always comfortable because inevitably, inevitably, all of us, we will need to lean on our community and some of our most vulnerable, shame-filled, grief-stricken, rage-laced, penniless, hopeless moments. And when we've been taught to be self-reliant, when we've been praised for being able to carry excessive loads, when we've been modeled what it looks like to keep secrets and save face, it becomes awfully hard to lean on anyone else other than ourselves. How exhausting. We've all known those people who generously give to others, but they don't know how to receive, who listen to the stories of others, but we don't know their story. There's an imbalance of power here, a lack of vulnerability. True community is built when we realize the reciprocal nature of giving and receiving, knowing that each of us at one point will be in this moment where it is hard to lean on our own two hands. Maybe the paralyzed man had been a source of strength for his friends. Maybe he directed the traffic and helped them weave through to get to Jesus. Or maybe, like many of us, he felt like a burden, and he was ashamed to be receiving help. I wonder what it might be like to consider it a gift to be carried to the healer by those who love us. How might it change how we show up in community if we were to view vulnerability as a spiritual practice and not a burden? When they arrive at the house, they can't get to Jesus. Um, maybe they felt like I do when we get to the mall at Christmas time and the line for Santa is too long and they're like, oh, no, no, we'll come back a different day. Just wave, kids, just wave. Um, maybe they saw the crowds and were overwhelmed and felt that feeling too. They could have seen it and decided that they didn't want to wait. They could have gotten there and realized, oh my gosh, there are Pharisees and scribes here and here we are, our little ragtag makeshift ambulance service and like we are not properly dressed for the occasion, and talked themselves back out of it. 
They could have po postponed helping their friend. They could have said, you know, let's try again later. Let's try again when it's a little bit easier. When I think about this story, I realize there are actually a dozen different ways that those friends could have shut down the act of being community to the paralyzed friend. There are a dozen different ways that their actions could have communicated, you're actually on your own here because we're only willing to go this far with you. But instead, they teach us what it looks like to be able to trust and count on the body of Christ. They are undeterred in getting their friend to the healer, so they go to this hardened mud roof and they get down. And the reason I love chapter two in Mark, this story, is because John sort of sanitizes it and just says, when they realize they couldn't get to Jesus, they go up to the roof and they lower him down. They didn't go up to the roof and the hole magically appeared and lowered him down. They go up to the roof and they get on their hands and their knees and they dig through the mud and they dig and they dig and they dig, this group of friends, because they are committed to being his community. They are committed to getting him to the healer. Can you imagine what it feels like to be up there and to watch your friends digging away for you so that they can lower you down to the feet of Jesus? I just wonder um, if you've ever been lowered down before. I know I have, and I know I have by people in this room who have time and time again not left me out there, not given up on me, they have carried me up to the roof and they have dug and dug and dug. Is there anything more beautiful than somebody fighting for you, showing up for you, digging a hole in the roof for you? Listen, here's the thing. If we were self-sufficient, we would never experience what it feels like for someone to bring us soup when we're sick or hold our hand when we're scared, or show up on our back porch with a bottle of wine after we've had a bad week, or sit in the doctor's office with us, or remember our first anniversary alone, or celebrate our sobriety, or calm us down where there are quirky jokes and weird casseroles. If we were self-sufficient, we would miss the gift and the beauty of knowing what it means to be loved to be fought for, to be cared for, for somebody to pick us up and carry us to a roof and dig away for us. Far from being a place of shame or pity, being reliant on one another is the closest we get to heaven on earth because our interconnectedness is rooted in the very essence of who God is. God is community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, our interconnectedness is a declaration of divine love. It is not a sign of weakness. It is our birthright. As disciples, we are a movement for wholeness in a fragmented world, so we need one another. Black, white, straight, LGBTQ, conservative, liberal, old, young, rich, poor, artists, bankers, teachers, students, Little kids, we need all of us. We're not all going to agree on everything. That's not ever going to happen. But we must remember when we come to this place that we belong to one another, that our faith compels us to rely upon one another. We have the profound gift of refusing to participate, refusing to participate in a culture that suggests that we, can buy our way, earn our way, self-help our way into a life of meaning all by ourselves on our own two feet. It's a myth. 
To be rooted in community means that we lay self-sufficiency down. We willingly lay self-sufficiency down, and and instead we choose this hard and holy path of relying upon one another, belonging to one another. I'd never given verse 5 much thought in this story, um, but this is what it says. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't just see the paralyzed man, but he sees an entire community. He sees everybody that brought this man, and he says their faith, the whole of them all together, he sees it, their faith has made you well. Christianity has historically been experienced as communal faith and not simply personal salvation. But because of our individualistic culture, we've turned faith into this very private, singular thing, and we've lost the richness of communal faith. But I have to tell you, the Old Testament, it deals with Israel collectively. And the ministry of Jesus was by and large on hillsides with hundreds of people and crowded houses and packed temples and carried out in the company of disciples and friends. And the early church, the spread of Christianity, it all came to entire families and villages. This gospel message is not a solo endeavor. This gospel message is the gospel of community. It was born in community. It was raised in community. And we still belong in community. And so, I have some questions for you today as we close that may feel a little hard. Have you carried anyone to the healer lately? Fought for anybody? Picked somebody up on a mat and carried them? And done the hard work of digging through a mud roof to get them there? Have you experienced the mercy and the grace of a friend who's carried you to the healer? Have you let anyone in? Who knows you here in this room, in this place? Who knows what's really going on in your life? Do you come in and out of the doors of this church hoping you never have to have a real conversation with anyone because you want to keep some of those things to yourself so that you can just take care of it? Or do you come open to being vulnerable? Are you overcommitted and stretched so thin that you can never actually plant your roots deep enough for real community? Do you pop in and out whenever it's convenient for you and your family and your kids' sports schedules and all the trips and the planning? We don't say that to make you feel guilty. We say that because we know community comes from consistency. Is there a consistent pattern in your life that draws you into this place so that you can actually plant roots deep down and be known? We told the students this week that we love them and that we are so glad that they are in youth group and that they come to camp, but it's not doing us a favor for them to come to youth group or for, for them to come to camp. We don't care if the parking lot is packed or there's numbers in these chairs or we get to build another big, huge building. The reason we do what we do is because we know that community changes people. It sustains us. It holds us. It carries us. I want students to come to camp. I want students to be in the youth program because I want students to be known to be known by God and to be known by one another. It is the call of our faith to live and dwell in this community.
We were made to be seen and known and loved in every season of our lives. And we live this out as we experience the freedom of vulnerability, the generosity of sharing and caring for one another, and the fierceness of fighting for one another to be made well. So the school year is about to kick off and Promotion Sunday is coming up. And many of us are beginning to pre uh, reprioritize our routines. And I plead with you at the beginning of this school year, please don't be self-sufficient. Come and taste and see and know the goodness of putting your roots down deep into community and being known by God and by your church family. And may you know and experience the holy gifts that come in the midst of insufficiency. Amen.